Chapter 10 of Meridiana, The Adventures of Three Englishmen and Three Russians in South Africa. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wayne Anderson, Chelsea, Quebec. Meridiana, The Adventures of Three Englishmen and Three Russians in South Africa by Jules Verne. Translated by Ellen E. Frewer. Chapter 10, The Rapid. During their sojourn by the kraal, Colonel Everest and Matthew Strux had been absolutely strangers. On the eve of their departure for their divided labors, they had ceremoniously taken leave one of the other and had not since met. The caravan continued its northward route, and the weather being favorable during the next ten days, two fresh triangles were measured. The vast verdant wilderness was intersected by streams flowing between rows of the willow-like karihout, from which the Bakyasmen make their bows. Large tracts of desert land occurred, where every trace of moisture disappeared, leaving the soil utterly bare, but for the cropping up occasionally of those mucilaginous plants which no aridity can kill. For miles there was no natural object that could be used for a station, and consequently the astronomers were obliged to employ natural objects for their point of sight. This caused considerable loss of time, but was not attended with much real difficulty. The crew of the Queen and Tsar were employed in this part of the work and performed their task well and rapidly. But the same jealousy that divided their chiefs crept in sometimes among the seamen. Zorn and Emery did all they could to neutralize any unpleasantness, but the discussion sometimes took a serious character. The colonel and Strux continually interfered in behalf of their countrymen, whether they were right or wrong, but they only succeeded in making matters worse. After a while Zorn and Emery were the only members of the party who had preserved a perfect concord. Even Sir John Murray and Nicholas Palander, generally absorbed as they were, the one in his calculations, the other in his hunting, began to join the fray. One day the dispute went so far that Strux said to the colonel, you must please to moderate your tone with astronomers from Pulkova. Remember, it was their telescope that showed that the disk of Uranus is circular. Yes, replied the colonel, but ours at Cambridge enabled us to classify the nebula of Andromeda. The irritation was evident, and at times seemed to imperil the fate of the triangulation. Hitherto the discussions had no injurious effect, but perhaps rather served to keep every operation more scrupulously exact. On the 30th the weather suddenly changed. In any other region a storm and torrents of rain might have been expected. Angry-looking clouds covered the sky, and lightning, unaccompanied by thunder, gleamed through the mass of vapor. But condensation did not ensue. Not a drop of rain fell on the thirsty soil. The sky remained overcast for some days, and the fog rendered the points of sight invisible at the distance of a mile. The astronomers, however, would not lose time, and determined to set up lighted signals and work at night. The bushmen prudently advised caution, lest the electric lights should attract the wild beasts too closely to their quarters, and, in fact, during the night, the yelp of the jackal and the hoarse laugh of the hyena, like that of a drunken negro, could plainly be heard. In the midst of this clamor, in which the roar of a lion could sometimes be distinguished, the astronomers felt rather distracted and the measurements were taken at least less rapidly, if not less accurately. 
to take zenith distances while gleaming eyes might be gazing at them through the darkness required imperturbable composure and the utmost sang-froid but these qualities were not wanting in the members of the commission and after a few days they regained their presence of mind and worked away in the midst of the beasts as calmly as if they were in their own observatories armed hunters attended them at every station and no inconsiderable number of hyenas fell by their balls sir joha thought this way of surveying delightful and whilst his eye was at his telescope his hand was on his gun and more than once he made a shot in the interval between two observations nothing occurred to check the steady progress of the survey so that the astronomers hoped before the end of june to measure a second degree of the meridian on the seventeenth they found that their path was crossed by an affluent of the karuman the europeans could easily take their instruments across in their india-rubber canoe but mokoum would have to take the caravan to a ford which he remembered some miles below the river was about half a mile wide and its rapid current broken here and there by rocks and stems of trees embedded in the mud offered considerable danger to any light craft matthew strux did not fail to represent this but finding that his companions did not recoil from the attempt he gave way nicholas palander alone was to accompany the caravan in its detour he was too much absorbed in his calculations to give any thought to danger but his presence was not indispensable to his companions and the boat would only hold a limited number of passengers accordingly he gave up his place to an englishman of the crew of the queen and czar who would be more useful under the circumstances after making an arrangement to meet to the north of the rapid the caravan disappeared down the left bank of the stream leaving colonel everest strux emery zorn sir john two sailors and a bacchusman who was the pioneer of the caravan and had been recommended by mokoum as having much experience in african rapids a pretty river observed zorn to his friend as the sailors were preparing the boat very so but hard to cross answered emery these rapids have not long to live and therefore enjoy life with a few weeks of this dry season there will hardly remain enough of this swollen torrent to water a caravan it is soon exhausted such is the law of nature moral and physical but we must not waste time in moralizing see the boat is equipped and i am all anxiety to see her performances in a few minutes the boat was launched beside a sloping bank of red granite here sheltered by a projecting rock the water quietly bathed the reeds and creepers the instruments and provisions were put in the boat and the passengers seated themselves so as not to interfere with the action of the oars the bacchusman took the helm he spoke but a few words of english and advised the travellers to keep a profound silence while they were crossing the boat soon felt the influence of the current the sailors carefully obeyed every order of the bacchusman sometimes they had to raise their oars to avoid some half-emerged stump sometimes to row hard across a whirlpool when the current became too strong they could only guide the light boat as it drifted with the stream the native tiller in hand sat watchful and motionless prepared for every danger the europeans were half uneasy at their novel situation they seemed carried away by an irresistible force the colonel and strux gazed at each other without a word sir john with his rifle between his knees watched the numerous birds that skimmed the water and the two younger astronomers gazed with admiration at the banks past which they flew with dizzy speed the light boat soon reached the true rapid which it was necessary to cross obliquely 
at a word from the bacchusman the sailors put forth their strength but despite all their efforts they were carried down parallel to the banks the tiller and oars had no longer any effect and the situation became really perilous a rock or a stump of a tree would inevitably have overturned the boat in spite of the manifest peril no one uttered a word the bacchusman half rose and watched the direction which he could not control two hundred yards distant rose an islet of stones and trees which it was impossible to avoid in a few seconds the boat apparently must be lost but the shock came with less violence than had seemed inevitable the boat lurched and shipped a little water but the passengers kept their places they were astonished to observe that what they had presumed to be rock had moved and was plunging about in the rush of the waters it was an immense hippopotamus ten feet long which had been carried by the current against the islet and dared not venture out again into the rapid feeling the shock he raised and shook his head looking about him with his little dull eyes and with his mouth wide open showing his great canine teeth he rushed furiously on the boat which he threatened to bite to pieces but sir john murray's presence of mind did not forsake him quietly shouldering his rifle he fired at the animal near the ear the hippopotamus did not quit his hold but shook the boat as a dog would a hare a second shot was soon lodged in his head the blow was mortal after pushing the boat with the last effort off the islet the fleshy mass sank in the deep water before the dismayed voyagers could collect their thoughts they were whirled obliquely into the rapid a hundred yards below a sharp bend in the river broke the current thither was the boat carried and was arrested by a violent shock safe and sound the whole party leapt to the bank they were about two miles below the spot where they had embarked end of chapter ten recording by wayne anderson chelsea quebec